0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. It's time now to open the scriptures together. So we are opening to the book of Colossians now for the last time in our series of expositions, the book of Colossians, chapter 4 and verses 7 through the conclusion of chapter 4. This is our 28th sermon in the book of Colossians. uh, And uh, like he says, concluding today, uh, it's been a wonderful journey through this uh, great book that Paul writes to the church at Colossae. Uh, as you're going there, let me remind you, and something maybe for the last time for a while, that the the church at Colossae, which was a small, out-of-the-way place in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, uh, the Colossian church was a new church, a small church, again, in something of an out-of-the-way place that used to be a place of great consequence, but has since dwindled down as... Trade routes passed over the city of Colossae, but the gospel has come to Colossae, and because the gospel has come to Colossae, the church of Jesus Christ exists in Colossae with great significance. Paul writes to the Colossian church from prison with a word of encouragement to them that they should continue in the faith that they have believed, not only continuing to believe it in their hearts, but continuing to live out the gospel by way of the application of its truth. To their lives as they say, Jesus is Lord and we will follow him. Now, all of Paul's letters follow something of the same form, where there is an introduction and a conclusion with bodies of teaching and application in between. And as you look to our text today in Colossians 4 at verse 7 and following, you find the concluding word, which is always a final greetings where he speaks particular words to particular people. And as you kind of glance over this quickly, uh, you'll notice a bunch of names. And if you look at the uh, outline in your bulletin, I've, I've structured those in a particular way uh, to help us understand, uh, because it would be easy to just pass over this list of names. It would be easy to pass over this group of people in this concluding word thinking, uh, this doesn't give us much note or much encouragement or much teaching whatsoever, because these people, well, They're not in Colossae anymore. They've been received to glory, and we are here in Edgington in the 21st century, and some of these names are hard to pronounce anyway. What what does all this have to do? Well, if nothing else, let us remember that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture, all Scripture is breathed out of God and profitable for correction, rebuke, and training in righteousness. All Scripture, every word in the Bible is profitable and useful for you to grow as a Christian. Even these seemingly what seems like throwaway concluding words where Paul is saying, oh, greet this person and greet that person in their particular situation. So let's ask, how can we profit from this? Well, uh, the one thing that I want us to see is that what you have in these concluding words is the evidence of flesh and blood on the gospel faith flesh and blood, real people in real places to remind us that the Christian faith is a historic faith and that the people of Colossae gathered together to worship the triune God through Jesus Christ, just like you are doing right now, just like we've already done together, gathering for worship under the banner of the gospel to say that we are the people of God. And these people in this place We're doing the same thing. So we draw encouragement as we see the gospel in real flesh and blood in the lives of these people and the lessons that we can learn from them as they were striving forward to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, just like we are. Just like we are. What can we learn? Well, by God's grace, I hope that we can learn a few things. But first, let's pray. And we'll ask God's blessing upon His word to us this morning. Gracious God. We pause now because it is good and right for us to say that we are thankful for Your Word, the Scriptures. We're thankful that these words come to us, yes, by the the pen of the Apostle Paul, but even more so by the divine inspiration of Your Holy Spirit, such that these words of Paul are the words of God to them and to us. So gracious God, send now Your Holy Spirit upon us, that the words that we read and the words that we hear would be to us your living word to cause us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and so be transformed more into his image, we pray, in his name. Amen. And now, dear friends, hear the word of God at Colossians 4 under the heading to The Final Greetings. This is the word of God. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities, he is a beloved brother Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. So, as we come to the conclusion of this uh, book of Colossians, uh, again, one of the things that we might take for granted, having studied it over the course of 28 sermons, is that this is a letter. Paul is writing a written communication to a church to provide to them an update both of how he is doing and to encourage them in their ministry. So don't forget the fact that this letter would have just been read straight through in one sitting for the church to hear. And then they would, of course, receive a written copy so that they could continue to know what Paul has said. But one of the disadvantages, perhaps, of chopping it up over the course of time is to to miss the, the big picture, to miss the forest as we've looked at the individual trees. But as we've looked at both the trees, let's keep in mind the forest, that what Paul is saying to this church is that Jesus Christ is the preeminent one the Lord and savior and redeemer who takes your life and by faith in him transforms your life and unites you together both with himself and with the one another's among you the people of God with you gather with whom you gather to worship Jesus Christ Paul is saying that Christ and the people with whom you gather to worship that Christ matter the church matters The people of God matter. The Savior matters. And your life in Christ and your life in the church matters. And Paul affirms that all through this book. He gives practical instruction and doctrinal teaching to affirm just how much that is true. And as he comes to this conclusion, naming particular names that were both people within that church at Colossae and people with whom... Paul was traveling and was imprisoned with, he is drawing together the fact that we are the people of God together. Whether we are in the church at Colossae or whether we are ministering the gospel in other places that has benefit for the church at Colossae, we are the people of God in Christ together. Paul is putting flesh and blood on the gospel as he names these particular people. And as you see there in your bulletin, I want us to see something of this outline to to summarize Briefly, who these people are and what they teach us. Some of the names might be familiar, many of the names might be totally unknown, but every single person is named with a particular purpose and an encouragement that you and I can draw from them as we consider how this text relates to us here in Edgington. And so first of all, I want us to see something of a word of encouragement toward faithfulness in the gospel or continuing in the ministry of the gospel in our local church, just as Paul is encouraging the church at Colossae and the people around them. So under this heading of gospel faithfulness, notice these few names, Tychicus, Epaphras, and Archippus in verses seven, 12, and 17. Paul is mentioning these particular names because these individuals are marked by a characteristic of faithfulness in their ministry that Paul is lifting up for the benefit of the church at Colossae and as an example to others. And so the first one, Tychicus, Tychicus, you see them there in verse 7. Tychicus is, if you like, the apostolic mailman. Tychicus is the one who has the letter of the Colossians in his hand and is bringing it to the church from Paul. This apostolic mailman who, without his faithfulness, we wouldn't have the letter. It is by Tychicus' own hand that the Church of Colossae receives Paul's writings. And he also brings to them not only the written report, but also the verbal report. Because you see there, Paul says, he, Tychicus, will tell you all about my activities. Tychicus, the letter carrier, what should we take from that of gospel faithfulness? This, that you and I are often tempted to think that in the realm of Christ's kingdom, there are important jobs and then there are little jobs. We think that there are people who come up front and who speak and who stand and who might perhaps gain notoriety or association with the church in such a way that you think about the church and you think about this person because of their visible ministry. And we're tempted to think that those jobs really matter and somebody's got to take out the trash and unlock the doors, suggesting perhaps that Unlocking the doors and taking out the trash is menial or lesser ministry. Tychicus reminds us that there is no such thing as a little job in the scope of Christ's kingdom. Tychicus is a man who holds no particular New Testament office. He's not an apostle. He is not an elder. He is not an evangelist. He is none of those things, but he is, Paul says, a faithful brother, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and a fellow servant. Friends, this reminds us that supporting ministries and ministries of service that don't garner attention or who might be received or perceived as unglamorous overlooked or even ignored all of that matters for the kingdom all of it matters for the kingdom and Tychicus is a beloved brother faithful minister and fellow servant as is verse 12 a man named Epaphras Now, we introduced ourselves to him at the beginning of this study a long time ago, but Epaphras there in verse 12 is a Colossian citizen who met Paul in prison, who came to faith in Jesus Christ and then was released and was the one who first brought the gospel to Colossae and who ministered the gospel among them. Epaphras is spoken of all the way back in chapter 1 verse 7 as the one who brought the word to them. In a sense, Epaphras is their pastor. And notice the description in chapter 4 verse 12 of Epaphras' ministry. Chapter 4 verse 12, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Epaphras is here described as a picture of gospel faithfulness who prays down the blessings of heaven on this congregation and who ministers faithfully that the word of God might be known amongst them. If you actually look back uh, in uh, chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, verse 25, Paul himself speaks of this picture of gospel faithfulness, gospel ministry. Colossians 1, verse 25, Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship that God was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. That's what Epaphras was doing amongst them. So I want to ask you this question. As you think about the ministry of the gospel and the ministry of faithfulness in the ministry of the gospel, what does it look like? What should gospel ministry look like? Or another way of asking it, this is somewhat awkward considering I'm the one that does it, But what should your pastor be doing? What should your pastor be busy with? There's lots of things to do. There's meetings to attend. There's people to check in on and all the rest. But I want you to see that Paul lifts up this model of gospel faithfulness in Epaphras as someone who is doing the work of the ministry, and the work of the ministry is to make the Word of God most fully known. So gospel faithfulness, gospel ministry faithfulness, looks primarily like praying and teaching, praying and preaching. And actually, if you were to come to one of our session meetings, which, by the way, you're welcome to do so. Our session meetings are open meetings. At the top line of our agenda is always the book of Acts, chapter 6, verse 4, which says that the ministry that we are entrusted with is a ministry of the word and prayer, That's what our elders do. We pray and we spend time in the Scriptures for learning and for teaching. Paul says gospel faithfulness looks like this laboring for the Word of God to make it fully known among you. And that's why he encourages Archippus there in verse 17, You keep going. Verse 17, who is likely to be somebody in the context of Colossae but who probably had a ministry in a neighboring town, he says to him in verse 17, Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Do what you're supposed to do, in other words. Do the job that you were given to do. Fulfill your ministry. Don't be over here tinkering in all these things and that thing instead of the things that you're supposed to be doing. Fulfill your ministry. And so these, these people, Tychicus, Epaphras, Archippus are pictures of gospel faithfulness who are busy and about their labors for the sake of the kingdom. And again, lest we think that it's just the person who's teaching the Bible, that they're the important gospel minister, we wouldn't have any of it without Tychicus, the one who brings the letter. Gospel faithfulness looks like service in the church, regardless of how much it's noticed, regardless of how glamorous it is, because it is all the ministry of God's word to God's people. Gospel faithfulness, in other words, as Paul encourages these particular people. It's a stewardship given to me for their sake. Gospel faithfulness. But then secondly, notice how gospel fellowship is key here as well. As Paul is naming these particular names, one of the things that doesn't immediately jump off the surface to us is that these names represent diversity of social groups and diversity of geographic background and uh, political status and also um, culture. At closer inspection, these smattering of names represents the fact that what the gospel does is not only unite us to Jesus Christ, but it also unites us together as fellow Christians, even people who are different from you who look different from you, who come from different backgrounds from you, who have different education levels than you, who have different life experiences. All these diverse groups of people come into one union with Christ and one another. So notice there's a bunch of Jewish names here, Aristarchus, Barnabas, Eustace. It's a reminder to us that Paul's ministry which was primarily a ministry among the Gentiles, had Jewish people that were a part of his ministry believing in Jesus. Because even though he went everywhere upsetting the Jews, telling them that their Messiah has come and his name is Jesus, and the Jews largely rejected him, there were Jewish people who came to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Paul says these are faithful brothers, Jewish men, Aristarchus, Barnabas, Eustace. But there's also among those Jews a Gentile. See the reference to Luke in chapter 4, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. Luke is a Gentile. Luke is not Jewish. And yes, this is the Luke of Luke, the gospel according to Luke and the book of Acts. And it's the only place in the scripture that we actually get tipped off that he's a physician. But the Luke, the writer of Luke and Acts, is with Paul and a Greek-speaking fellow gospel minister with Paul and with the Jewish brothers. Luke, who would otherwise have no dealings with these Jewish men, they have been brought together in a united fellowship of gospel faith together. Also of interest there is that Luke is the only Gentile author in the New Testament. Every other author in the New Testament, human author, is Jewish. Luke is the only Gentile one, but Paul says, We are together in Christ, Jew and Gentile, as the gospel goes out. Look back into chapter 3, verse 11, chapter 3, verse 11, and remind yourself what Paul has said when he says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, meaning that's not what defines us most of all anymore. Here there is neither circumcised nor uncircumcised, or Barbician, or Sician, or slave, free. But Christ is in all. Christ is all and in all. In other words, Christ unites together people who otherwise wouldn't only not have social dealings with each other, they wouldn't pursue them at all. But Christ has brought them together. Let me give to you a word of encouragement or perhaps even a challenge on this very point that the diversity of the church with respect to our various backgrounds is a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing, especially if you encounter people who aren't just like you, who don't think just like you, who don't approach things just like the way you do. Sometimes you might be tempted to think that that is a problem or an obstacle or a point of frustration for you when it actually is the very thing that beautifies the church of God, the diversity amongst us. Because for all the diversity, what there is no diversity about is the fact that we are together in Christ. There is only one Savior, and we are in Him. And we have unity on that point. And because we are strong in unity on that point, everything else can be held together. The unity of gospel fellowship, as this gospel goes all over the place, Hierapolis and Laodicea and nympha that's all places across Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Paul says the gospel's going everywhere, uniting all types of people together in Christ, and it's a good thing, a beautiful thing. But perhaps most interestingly here in this word of gospel fellowship is a particular man that we find his name at the end of verse 14. You see that there in verse 14? After Luke is mentioned, the beloved physician greets you, Paul says, as does Demas. And what we can draw from this is that Demas is likely imprisoned with Paul as he writes Colossians, that he is with Paul and a fellow minister with Paul, Demas sends you his greetings as well. But Colossians is an earlier letter in the ministry of Paul. And as Paul's ministry goes on, this man Demas will go from being a co-worker with Paul to somebody who abandons Paul altogether. But at this point, he's still with him. If you were to flip forward into 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, you could go there, but you could also just listen to 2 Timothy 4, verse 10. At the conclusion of 2 Timothy, Paul again mentions this name, Demas, seemingly unsuspecting in Colossians, but in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, Paul says, Demas is in love with this present world and has deserted me and is gone. And his name being mentioned here at the conclusion of Colossians stands as this very sharp word of warning. That Demas, who is with Paul at this point, is someone who will abandon Paul in the future. And not only abandon Paul, but who will abandon Jesus Christ. His description in 2 Timothy 4.10 is that Demas is in love with the world. Demas has gone on to chase the things of the world rather than Jesus Christ. And he is named at the conclusion of 2 Timothy... Not as a faithful member of the church, but as one who has abdicated, as one who has abandoned, who is apostate. Loved ones, let Demas' name at Colossians be a word of warning. (coughs) That it is possible to be physically present in the church, but to end up demonstrating that you were never spiritually in union with Jesus Christ because you flee. One of the ways that you demonstrate the sincerity of your faith is by persevering in that faith. And Demas, who is with Paul now, who will go on to abandon him, will demonstrate that he never really was in Christ. Let it be a word of warning that it is possible to be put outside the fellowship of the gospel because the fellowship of the gospel that unites people from all various points of background is a gospel that does... Not continue to include those who reject Jesus Christ like demons. So, gospel faithfulness, gospel fellowship, and also, finally, gospel forgiveness. Notice the names Onesimus there in verse 9, and also Philemon is the one who hosts the Colossian church in his house. Remember that Onesimus is the runaway slave who used to serve in Philemon's house, who steals from Philemon and then runs away, meets Paul in prison, is converted, becomes a Christian. And Paul sends Onesimus back to Colossians, back to the Colossian church meeting in Philemon's house and says to Philemon, he stole from you, he wronged you, but take him back because he's not your slave. He's your brother in Christ. Paul teaches about gospel forgiveness as he sends Onesimus back. Look back in chapter 3 and verse 13. Chapter 3 and verse 13, Paul reminds the Colossian believers that they should bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, you should forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So Philemon, you're hosting this church in your house and I'm sending back the person who wronged you, the person who stole from you, the person who you would maybe identify as perhaps your worst enemy. Here he is, Philemon. But he's not your enemy. He's your brother in Christ. Take him back. Receive him. Receive Onesimus, who is described there in verse 9 as a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. Paul says this is a picture of gospel forgiveness. Sending Onesimus back to Philemon. But you know what? The gospel forgiveness that Paul calls on Philemon to to express towards Onesimus is also gospel forgiveness that he intends to demonstrate himself. Because here you also find an additional name in verse 10, the name of Mark. Mark there in uh, Colossians 4 verse 10. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, Oftentimes these names, they're just names to us. But if you go back into the record of the New Testament, there's a story behind each one of these names. And just like there's a great story, an unfortunate story behind Demas, there's a wonderful story behind the name of Mark as well there in verse 10. If you go back in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12 and 13 and 15, Mark is somebody who is with Paul early on. Mark is someone who was going on missionary journeys with Paul, but for some reason, at one point, he abandons Paul. He doesn't abandon the faith, like Demas, but he disagrees with Paul, and he doesn't want to go with him, and he leaves Paul alone. Later on in the book of Acts, Barnabas wants to go with Paul, and Paul says, Paul, let's take Mark with us. And Paul says, no way. Mark isn't coming with me. Last time Mark was with me, he left me. He's not coming with me. And Paul and Barnabas split in the book of Acts. They have a disagreement because they disagree on whether or not Mark should come with them. Paul essentially says, look, Barnabas, if you want Mark to come, then he's going to come with you, but both of you aren't coming with me. We're going separate ways. Here is the Apostle Paul, in a sense, having a spat and a division with fellow Christian workers. So, has there ever been a division in the church before? Has there ever been disagreements in the church before? Have there ever been people who don't see eye to eye and can't find a way to get along together and make progress together? Has it ever happened before? It's been happening from the very beginning. But here's a beautiful thing. That this man, Mark, who left Paul, who Barnabas told Paul, uh, Paul told Barnabas, Look, if you want to go, he can go with you, but he's not coming with me. It's very clear that here in the book of Colossians, when he greets him in verse 10, they've been restored. They've been restored to each other. He says, greet him. Mark has been restored to Paul. Mark has been rehabilitated as a worker for the gospel and a companion of Paul because the forgiveness that Paul is encouraging other people to pursue is a forgiveness that he intends to demonstrate in his own life. And that's a beautiful thing. When he says, Mark greets you, What lays behind that is disagreement, division, hard feelings that get restored as forgiveness is extended and grace is shown. Gospel faithfulness, gospel fellowship, gospel forgiveness. So what you have here at the conclusion of the book of Colossians (coughs) is real people in a real place. So I want you to think for a minute. If the Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration, were to write the church in Edgington a letter, what would he say to us? Who would he name? That's not to say, who would he pick favorites among? But would the Apostle Paul find, by the work of the Spirit, these characteristics in our church? Gospel faithfulness and gospel fellowship and gospel forgiveness at work in our midst in such a way that he would say the gospel is real and living amongst you in real flesh and blood, in your lives, in the midst of the mess of your lives and the joy of your lives and the beauty of your lives, in the real lives of your lives together as a people of God. Are you faithful to the gospel? Are you being united together for the cause of the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you being united together across differences and across different perspectives and across different backgrounds to be beautified and unified in the glory of Jesus Christ? And are you going forward forgiving one another? Not bearing ill will against one another? Decades-old burdens, perhaps? Have you let them go for Jesus' sake? because of who he is to you, so that the people that you are known amongst as the people of God are people that you are extending forgiveness to and receiving it from, as the reciprocity of forgiveness makes the church of God beautiful. You know this, don't you? Oftentimes, the world can be an ugly place full of hostility and hatred and anger and violence, but what should the church be like? It should be different, right? It should be beautiful with forgiveness unity, and faithfulness. And Paul says, that's a church where the gospel takes hold and is transforming the lives of the people where they are demonstrating the true reality of the preeminent Christ who is not to them a theoretical Savior, but a real living Savior transforming their lives here amongst us. And so Paul says to that church in Colossae and in Edgington, this concluding word he says, Remember my chains. Saying to them, it will cost you something to follow Jesus. It will cost you something to be faithful. It will cost you something to have a church fellowship. It will cost you something to give and extend forgiveness. Remember my chains. Remember my sacrifice to encourage you to press on. And as you press on, He says, grace be with you. Go forward, church. Go forward in faithfulness, go forward in fellowship and go forward in forgiveness and the grace of God goes with you as you do it. And where that takes place there you have a true church following a living and true Savior. And loved ones, it's a beautiful thing isn't it? A church of God and fellow Christian believers it's a beautiful thing. May God give His grace to us that will be so amongst us here as well. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for this particular church here in Colossae and the Word that You directed by Your Spirit through the Apostle Paul to them. We pray that we might also receive in our time a similar Word encouraging us on in faithfulness and in love for the Kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would You please bless our church? Would You please strengthen the witness of our church? And would You please, Lord, continue to entrust to us the care of souls as we minister faithfully for the kingdom. Bless us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.